Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Judy Glassman, a yoga therapist with a private practice in New York City. She recounts the painful and pivotal experience of caring for and losing her mother to brain cancer quite rapidly. When faced with another challenge of being aged out of profession in media, she used what she learned from her immense loss to take a leap of faith toward a new career and a more meaningful life. Please welcome Judy Glassman. Welcome, Judy. So we start the conversation off by asking one question. And the question I ask is, was there an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have reshaped the direction or course of your life? Wow. Not a small question. Well, you know, there were many, I think, more than one, but... I mean, certainly my mother's death when I was 37 was huge for me. It was devastating and absolutely changed my direction in that I have not been married and at that time was thinking about having a baby alone, but I wanted my mother with me on that journey. And when she wasn't there, I I didn't do that. So that was kind of big. And that's uh, one thing that happened that's quite large, I think. Can I ask Um, you if she had been sick or she died quite suddenly? Well, she had brain cancer, but it came on suddenly and she died within six weeks. She was gone from the time uh, she got diagnosed to the time she died. It was a six-week process. And this is... 22 years ago, and it was a different time. And I really just, there was nobody else to help. There weren't these services that there are now. It was very challenging. And I just kept chasing the disease to try to, you know, each step of the way, each time something happened, I I sort of caught up to it, had got the right help or the right efforts around it. And then it would get worse the next day. It was so fast. It moved so fast. There was no time. There was no time for anything. There was no time to really take care of anything. So it just sort of happened very, very quickly. And um, did you feel like you had some time to kind of have some closure with her or the ability to say goodbye in whatever fashion? So that's a very complicated question because she never knew what hit her. She never knew what happened. Can you clarify what that means? Yeah. So what happened was she had a brain tumor in a part of her brain where it sort of behaved like Alzheimer's in a way. She had no short-term memory and she had long-term memory. So she always knew who I was, but she had no short-term memory. Slowly but surely, everything else was lost too. Then she couldn't speak. Then she couldn't walk. There was, you know, it went, it went, it went fast. But at first she just lost short-term memory. And so 
the doctor that diagnosed her, the neurologist suggested I don't tell her because she wouldn't be able to remember, but she would retain the feeling. And so he said, what happens is they retain this sense of depression without knowing why, and you would have to keep telling her. So he suggested I didn't tell her. So I didn't. And I was just taking this all on myself. So I sort of absorbed all of that for myself. But even in retrospect, to just digress for a moment, I think that might have been better anyway. I don't think she would have wanted to know. And it was almost better that she didn't, but she didn't know. So in that way, there was no closure in that she wasn't part of anything. I had to make all the decisions and and do all of it. But in my own little way, there there was a little bit of closure, but but it really was too fast to, it's not like we got to sit down and talk. I didn't know anything. I don't know. I'll, to this day, I don't know if she had a will somewhere. I never found it. When she was still half lucid, I was taking this poor woman to like a lawyer to get a living will, to do a DNR, to do, a, to make me the executrix of everything. And, you know, it was just a very, a crazy, crazy time. So how did you cope through all of that? I'm trying to imagine my father uh, Mm. has age-related dementia and it's short-term memory as well. So he remembers all of us, but he couldn't tell you if he had lunch, breakfast, right? Like an hour ago. Right. So, I mean, and he's relatively healthy. So Mm. as you were taking on all of that, how did you cope? Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you two things that I'll say. I definitely compartmentalized. I definitely just plowed through everything I had to do when I had to do it and, you know, cried separately by myself. You know, I just did what I had to do. And then what I did, and this was interesting because every day, well, again, this went very quickly. So it went from me living in my apartment to going over to her apartment every day, to me just moving into my old bedroom in the apartment, to me finally finding somebody to help at night, to me getting her into the hospital. And that was it. So it just, it went very quickly. But what I did do um, while I was still in my apartment is every morning, and then, and then when she was in the hospital and I was back in my apartment, every morning I got up, I had somebody there from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then I would come and take over. So at 6 a.m. every day, I got up, I got dressed and I took 10 minutes and I timed it. I watched it and I had a cappuccino at this little place right near my apartment. And for 10 minutes every morning, I allowed myself to do nothing and stare out the window and breathe. This is before my huge yoga journey, but I just did that. And for 10 minutes, and then time was up, and I got myself up and I went and I did whatever it was I had to do that day. And every day was different because it was just a fast moving machine. So, so I would imagine that the grieving process gets complicated when you're also the main caretaker. Have you been able to sort of separate? the two out at this point, allowing yourself the ability to truly grieve while at the same time, not questioning the decisions or things that you made as the caretaker. Right. I don't think during that time, no, I think during that, during the time I simply was the caretaker with my own ball of emotions, just (laughs) constantly revving up. But afterwards I did grieve kind of 
let it go and I accepted all the grief, but I didn't, I did the best I could. And I don't think there was anything else I could have done. So there's very few things I felt guilty about or felt that I could have done differently. There's a couple of minor things I, you know, I sometimes think about and wished I had done differently, but there was nothing I felt that I did incorrectly under the circumstances. I didn't have guilt. I did feel like I did the best I could, but I do feel like it was incredibly fast. And listen, a lot of people lose their parents when they were young kids. I feel like at least I was working and I was able to support myself and all that. So I don't feel like it was that same thing, but I did feel like she was 72. I still felt like she was too young to have died, you know, and I, I feel like there were things that I would have liked to have done with her that we never got to do in our later years. And I feel sad about that. And in those ways, I feel like no matter how young or old you are, a parent's death follows you and gets more difficult as you get older rather than less difficult, even though the concept of it is is a little easier. The, the life, as life happens, you think about all these things you would have liked to have done now that just don't happen. So I think in those ways, it's harder. And in those ways, I think you always grieve. You continue to grieve. Deaths are, are difficult for anybody and any types of deaths. So, so I've asked this question to a, a number of my interviewees who talked about the death of a parent. Mm-hmm. And was there a moment once you were sort of working through the grieving process where I would imagine, this is how I imagine it, that when you lose your parent or parents, that Mm -hmm. in a sense, you really come into your own, right? That you truly become an adult. You're no longer someone's daughter. You are just you. So did you ever have that moment of like clarity and understanding, like I am truly Judy, my person, myself, and I am truly an adult? Well, I think for me, I had always felt very independent before that. So I don't think this made me feel more like that because I think I felt that before. In fact, I felt like it was almost a helpful thing that I felt so independent earlier because that helped me through it. It helped me be that I was already independent. I was already able to do everything on my own because I did everything on my own. So in that way, I didn't feel that that was a marker for me being truly myself and on my own. But I did suddenly feel like even though I have such incredible friends and my friends are my family and I do have a brother, um, he lives far away. So he wasn't here. He lived even farther at the time. But you know, I have very, very close friends. But I felt that at that moment, I was alone in that the only other person in the world that put me as a priority was gone. So I was no longer anybody else's priority. And that was different. And even though I have amazing friends and they would, they're here for anything I need always, they have husbands or wives and children and parents, and I'm not their priority. I might be second or third to some of them, 
but I'm not the first. And I was my mother's first priority. And that changed. So, and that's a different feeling to know that you are kind of alone in that ultimately, you know, in that way. So you talked about or made kind of a reference to other inflection points. Were there other moments where you faced a challenge and that kind of reshaped your life? Well, I do think aside from other deaths of friends, which were certainly traumatic when you don't expect it, I do think a couple of things which led me to my yoga journey were traumatic in that they did change my life. I had a terrible herniation, a herniated disc also around right before my mother got sick, actually. And it really blew through my spinal canal. And and luckily I had room in my spinal canal to hold that disc, but uh, it would have been emergency surgery, but it wasn't. And um, I did end up with nerve damage down my leg and a little bit up in my back as well. And that's when I really started to try to heal myself through yoga. And yoga became a part of my life during that healing time. And I was able to heal myself basically with, of course, some PT at the beginning, absolutely. And some training to get myself strong again, absolutely. It was a a multi-modality process, but I ultimately really completely healed myself with yoga. And that started me on my yoga journey. And then that I was still off and on with it. I would just take classes sporadically. I wasn't going too often. And then five years ago, I was laid off from my job and I was already in my fifties and there was just no getting another job at that point in my media field. And that's when I decided to really go for it. I always said, if I could do anything, I would just teach and take yoga. It's all I wanted to do. And that's when I really just didn't try anymore to get another job in my field since it was at that moment, uh, I was aged out from a field that has become very digital and I wasn't very digital. And then I decided, well, now is the time. This is the time to throw yourself into something else. And that's when I completed my yoga therapy training and just teach and that's when I did that. So that was pretty, I was dramatic because it was a huge shift from sitting at a desk 12 hours a day to being sort of a body worker and starting that at 55 years old. is. Can you go back to know. your original career and tell the audience what it was that you did? Well, I was in uh, media in the first in the publishing industry. So years ago, I was a publicist in public relations, but then I translated that into media doing what was called in my company called Creative Services back in at Condé Nast, which is a huge publishing company that puts out all those major brands like Vogue and Allure and GQ and Mademoiselle back in the day and Glamour, a lot of huge brands. And I worked for Condé Nast for years at, at many different magazines. And so first of all, magazines back in the day were the thing to be at. It was great. And I did creative services, which is basically what a lot of people think of as marketing and promotion and special events. We created all of the materials for the sales staff, which included doing special events, which included everything from just creating presentations 
to any kind of an idea you might have to help get advertising into the magazines. But nobody saw magazines going away. We thought magazines, paper, we never saw paper going away. (laughs) Then it started to change. But then I was working for Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian Institution has a media division. They put out a couple of different magazines, including Smithsonian Magazine. And I worked for them most recently. And that's where I was when I got laid off. So Smithsonian, even though it was a magazine area for me, it was still part of the government. So it wasn't as scary as just working for a paper company, a company that just puts out magazines, because Smithsonian still has the institution behind it, and it has a television channel. It has a lot of other things and components to it that made it a little bit safer, even though it was still in the media division. But then after my third new boss, she decided she wanted her own people, which happens all the time. It wasn't shocking, but I got laid off. And being the associate publisher of marketing for Smithsonian, there's really no place else to go because now you've been in this media company and you've been with magazines for 20 years and now what? So it was a little bit difficult because really people don't want to hire someone in their 50s. They usually don't. And um, they don't see, a lot of other people are very myopic and they don't see that you can translate your skills. I know I could, but other people do exactly what they want them to do and they don't need you to be able to translate your skills. They know what they need and they can get it. It's New York City and everybody is here and you can you can always find somebody to do exactly what you want them to do without hiring somebody who has a learning curve. So I just was like, you know what? <laughs> now might be the time to make that transition. So there's this whole movement. I think it's GQ or I forget mm-hmm. what magazine they're doing, like 50 over 50 oh, women, right. right? Women in their 50s sort of coming yes. into their own and taking... Uh, making career changes yeah. and making taking leadership positions and Forbes, Forbes, right? Forbes, that's yeah. it. Forbes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am a prime example of that. A woman in her, you know, early fifties yes. starting a podcast, right? Yeah. So, do you think that if you'd been laid off today, like your decision might be slightly different in terms of the climate of today, right? That people people are starting to see the value of having someone with that kind of experience rather than hiring someone who's 30 and bright-eyed, but not with the wealth of information and experience that you would bring. Yes, I absolutely think it might be different. I might have felt a little bit less uh, like nobody wants me anymore and a little more like maybe there are people out there who see the value like you're describing. Yeah, it might have been different. These last five years have changed everything. And I think there is a huge difference now. So it might have, yeah. I might have even not even thought to just do yoga as a therapeutic career. And I might have just kept on trying to find a new job. But I'm, you know, kind of glad I was forced to do this because there was a lot of stress And I'm glad to be out of that level of stress. I have different kinds of stress, but not like that. (laughs) Not like I used to have. So it's very nice to not have that. I will say that. 
Can you tell the audience uh, what you do as a yoga therapist? Sure. So as a yoga therapist- Or actually what yoga therapy is. Oh yeah, of course. So yoga therapy is really the opportunity, I'm going to say, to use yoga breath poses and types of meditation to help people empower themselves to feel better, to be better in whatever their challenges might be. And I get to mix modalities while I'm teaching somebody. So I have all types of clients from completely healthy who started out maybe with a little bit of arthritis in the neck. And that was my healthiest client, but she's young and she's, we got rid of that, those aches and pains. And we do full on vinyasa, flowing yoga, the really hard stuff. And she's just, it's like a huge workout for her. I have older people. I have an old woman who has, she's in mid-stage Alzheimer's and we do chair yoga and we do breath and we get her moving. I have a class of older people where they're all at different levels of things and they have different kinds of challenges within the class. Some do have Parkinson's, some have different levels of and different types of dementia, and some are just older and have just general old people <laughs> things going on. And we do, um, we do a chair class and I have people who have injuries who are coming back from certain injuries or certain kinds of surgeries. And we just notice a specific challenge and we get to focus on a person's challenges and not see them as anything negative, but just to be able to give them the power and help heal them through these modalities, through various types of yoga, not just one type of yoga, all types of yoga and all types of props and all types of breath work and all types of meditation. And through all of these modalities, we are able to really bring compassion and movement and serenity to the to our clients. And so it's a very satisfying new career. I'll say that. <laughs> so I'm sure you've mentioned the fact that it was scary to be laid off in your 50s and then embarking on a new career, mm-hmm. a new career that has at best up and down financial (laughs) uh, possibilities and potential. So how did you manage delving into this without the fears overtaking you? Yeah, well, the fears do maybe overtake me a little bit. They are, that's the biggest problem that I do face. But what had happened when I first got laid off was I, I was laid off with a little severance package because nothing bad had happened. Nothing had gone wrong. They just wanted to move on. And so I got a nice package. And so that was the first detail that allowed me to do this because I really felt like I was uh, given a little gift that I don't, you don't usually get a cushion like that. So I was able to do it for a while. And then I did have some savings because I did make a good living before this. So I was able to be okay for a, you know, a couple of years. And then you know it is really hard and I do not make that much. Honestly, it is not lucrative yet. I'm not up to the point where it pays for my own life yet. So I am dipping into my old lady fund a little bit early, but I figure... I'm not really looking at a retirement. So if I'm using that retirement fund 
now to help extend a career for myself that will help me work throughout that time, then that's a good use of those funds versus thinking I'm ever going to stop and just retire and take uh, you know, payment. The, the, the money isn't enough to pay for a retirement without working. So it's, it kind of is, I think, a good use of it for now while it lasts. And I'm hoping that by the time I really not allowed, able to use it anymore, that maybe I'll be making enough. So, I mean, I think about this a lot. My father is 93. So clearly right. I have genes where people live right. a long life. And there is a probability that you could live, you know, right. another 40 years right. or 30 right. years. And I think generationally, not enough of, of the people sort of thinking about the future in our generation have really planned accordingly right. with that They're idea right. that we live for much longer. So what is your game plan for that reality? I God willing that that happens. <laughs> I don't have one. You're absolutely right. And I think about it. And that's what gives me focus. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word? Wait, is that a Yiddish word, right? Can you yeah. tell us what it means? Yeah. Wait, first, say it again. I love Yiddish words. <laughs> Spilkes. 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 It's what gives you like, you know, that, that stomach turning. <laughs> <laughs> stomach turning feeling. I love and it. That's, yeah, that's what gives you Spilkes because I do think about it and I'm not unrealistic and I do know the realities and I do know that I should have a plan and I used to have a little bit more of one. <laughs> and then when everything changed, I, I really don't anymore. So it does have to happen, but right now I don't have that really long-term plan. I just am getting by and trying to get through another maybe couple of years like this. And in the meantime, I keep trying to find that next kind of wave of where this yoga therapy can go that could be more lucrative. So that's more what I work on than a long-term financial plan based on what I make now, because there really isn't one. There really mm -hmm. isn't enough for one. And my long, then I would have to just stop and really look for another job. And I, I'm trying not to do that. So at this moment, I'm just trying to extend this career and see where it can take me in a more lucrative way. And then I can hopefully do that. But yeah. So you yeah. talked about your, once you've sort of work through the grieving process of feeling alone. And I think you've put it so beautifully that you don't have someone who's made you their priority. Mm -hmm. So with that sense of kind of aloneness, do you feel like the uncertainty of what you just described is compounded by that sense of aloneness? Yes, I do. I do. I think that realistically, you know, if you have you know, a husband or a partner of any kind. If I had a husband right now, when there would be two people in this and two, you know, salaries in this, then it, yes, it would definitely be more, more calming, but nothing is, you know, nothing is definitive no matter what. So while yes, I think it would be much easier to have a husband and someday I hope to still have one, maybe, you know, I'd still like, to meet somebody, I never feel, I still always feel like a work in progress. I never feel like that it can't happen. But do I look for that to help get me out of this? No, because that's not fair to anybody else. And it's also not fair to whatever partnership you create, because 
nothing is certain, but it still has to be something I think that independent streak in me has to find for myself. I don't feel alone because I, I am alone, but I have plenty of people that are just so special in my life. So I'm not, I don't feel alone in that way, but yes, I do think it makes a difference to not have somebody else in the trenches with you when you have to think about this type of financial future. But like I said, at the same time, is that really fair to put on somebody else? No. (laughs) So it's okay. It's okay that it's on me. I have to figure it out anyway. You know, you sound so balanced. So, um, <laughs> no, I mean, you really do. And I'm not saying that because yeah. we're friends and right, I know right. you well, right. but it, it, it is just really remarkably balanced and healthy. Right. Do right. you ever have, I mean, you made reference to the fact that you were thinking about becoming a single parent and doing the mm. whole artificial thing. Right. Do you ever have a moment of wistfulness? I can't picture mm. you regretting anything, right. but a sense right. of wistfulness about that and not having taken that opportunity to do that. Sure. I absolutely do. You're right. I don't have regret because I don't feel like that is healthy. I don't feel like regret is going to get me anywhere. I do feel like regret is only going to bring me down. And and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. But yes, absolutely. I love children and I would have always thought I would be a mother. So it never occurred to me that I wouldn't. And so I do have wistfulness, again, in that same way. I am not a selfish person. So to to live a selfish life, like I kind of do, where I am the only person I have to take care of, is a little bit not what I saw happening. As I get older, I'm less wistful. (laughs) Because now I'm tired. (laughs) But I have plenty of children in my life. And I have my godson who I helped bring up. And he is like my son. And He's my best friend's child. And he's, of course, 26 now. It's not like he's a a baby. But I have special people. I have a friend who we've been friends for 52 years. And her daughter is very special to me, too. I have other people's children. (laughs) So I take other people's children (laughs) as my own. Which is great because you can send them home when (laughs) you're done. That's exactly right. That's right. I'm sure there are many. I'm sure there are parents out there who would love, love, love to volunteer (laughs) their children for a day or two. Exactly. Um, exactly. So let's go back to you stepping into this yoga therapy world and teaching of yoga. And I've asked this of other yoga instructors who are sort of of a certain age. How was that to be in a field where a it's body centric, what we teach is about the body and B is also in a terrible way biased toward youth. So how have you kind of navigated the realities of that from a professional standpoint in this new career? Well, really good question because it's true. And those were, they weighed heavily on me. So First of all, I had to, in my own mind, get over all of that. I had to just accept that this is, you know, what I do. And once I got really comfortable teaching, which took a couple of years, I think. And then once I got really comfortable, I really realized a couple of things. Number one is I am careful about my own practice so that I don't overdo it. I'm careful what I, what I show when I'm teaching, but I'm careful with my own practice and I don't try to overdo something because it is precarious. Mm-hmm. But also I have started 
to find that potentially older people and chair yoga might be a specialty for me. And it might be a very good specialty for me as I get older, because you can really not be as crazy with the body. You don't have to do circus tricks. You don't want to do circus tricks. And so it's really um, becoming a specialty and it kind of happened organically, but it's working out. And I think it's a good way to go also as I get older and also to them, I'm young. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter that I'm older because I'm not, I'm suddenly young. <laughs> and so even if I'm just doing a chair yoga, I could have three in a day. That still could be too much. When you were talking about things becoming better for women over 50 in the last couple of years, they've also become better for people who don't have a perfect skinny body. That's also very helpful now, which didn't really exist. And that same way that it's for young bodies, like you said, it's also for skinny people, but it isn't. I have lost weight, but I'm not a skinny yoga body. And that actually is okay. And it's actually good because I think people want to see real bodies doing yoga. And so I am a little bit older and a little bit bigger than the skinny yoga body. And I can move. And I think people want to see that. So when you're teaching these older people, do you ever have a moment where you think about your mother and thinking about the fact that she, if she were still alive, Mm -hmm. that you might be able to share these things with her in a way? Yeah, I, I don't think about that while I'm teaching ever, but absolutely at other points afterwards or before when I think about not only having these conversations, but that I could help her. I could have helped her physically. I think that's a great place to end. I'm going to ask you the last question. If you mm-hmm. could find one song that resonates with you or perhaps describes a part of your life or something about you, what would that song be? Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> really, really interesting. I mean, this will will sound sadder than it is, but I have to think of the the name of the the song, the, the Stevie Nicks song. I'm thinking of landslide. So that's the one of my favorite songs. The one I think about when you ask me that, even though that sounds very sad. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> there's always a melancholy side to me, but I'm not sad. It's one of my favorite songs, so yeah. I love it. Yeah. How can people find you if they were interested in learning more about yoga therapy or what you do? JudyGlassmanYoga.com is my website, or JudyGlassmanYoga at gmail.com is my email. Fantastic. Great. Thank you, Judy, for uh, spending this time with us. I find you incredibly inspiring. Watched you from afar and up close and am always kind of in awe of uh, your grace with which you do everything. So I know that the audience out there will hopefully connect to that and, and be as inspired. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. 
It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience. When I got tired of waiting, then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it. I'ma say this because we gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack, focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, woulda. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.